listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. that we would see and hear this not just as information to know, but as truths to be applied that have direct implications for our day-to-day. God, speak to us now. And Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So there is a story told about a police officer who pulled a driver over and asked for his license and registration. What's wrong, officer, the driver said. I didn't go through any red lights, and I certainly wasn't speeding. No, you weren't, said the officer, but I saw you shake your fist as you passed that elderly lady, and I observed you shout at the driver of the Hummer who cut you off and how you pounded your steering wheel when traffic came to a stop near the bridge? He said, well, is that a crime, officer? No, but when I saw the Jesus loves you and so do I bumper sticker on the car, I figured this car had to be stolen. (laughs) Too close to home, right? Hypocrisy. Saying one thing and doing something else. Your bumper sticker says one thing, but the way you drive says something else, something very different. A hypocrite is someone who says they're your friend and then gossips about you in the comments on Insta. A hypocrite is someone who says they'll always be there for you, but when you break up with your boyfriend, they don't even bother to pick up the phone to call. A hypocrite is someone who smiles and says, yeah, man, everything is good between us. We're great. We're, we're on the same page. And you turn around and they stab you in the back. A hypocrite is someone who says they will love you no matter what, but then you kind of drag the skeletons out of the closet and you open up about your secret sins and you find out that they're totally stonewalling you. See, hypocrisy means there's a, a disconnect between what you say you believe, and how you live, right? There's, there's a disconnect there. Your bumper sticker says one thing, the way that you drive says something else. And John puts it like this in our passage for today, right? In, in verse 9, he hits this hard. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Now, if you've been kind of keeping track as we've been making our way through John's letter, and I encourage you to sit down and read this entire thing in one sitting. It it doesn't take long. It's a short letter. And really, when these letters were first written, that's how it was done. They would have been read in their entirety before a congregation. But you've probably noticed that John is really big on opposites, right? He's big on metaphors. All over the place, you see this light versus darkness. You see truth versus lies. And today, it's love versus hate, kind of tied in with the, the light and the darkness theme. Christians who love their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, they abide in the light of God's love. Now, here's the problem, though. It's a problem that John was running up against in this congregation, and it's a problem 
that plagues us today. Some people will claim to have a relationship with Jesus and yet hate their fellow believers. Now, hate is a strong word, right? We only use this in the most extreme circumstances. Hitler hated the Jews. Kids hate bedtime. Vikings hate the Packers. Everyone hates pumpkin spiced stuff, right? Let the record show everyone in the congregation is raising their hands and nodding their heads in agreement. Stan, can you go two, two slides ahead, if you could? There we go. Something that rightly deserves to be hated. That's a, that's a real thing uh, in uh, cub food. A friend of mine took a picture of that. Pumpkin spiced ramen noodles. Come on, people. We can do better than that. I'm just saying. Some things are worth hating, but, but when John talks about this word hate, and he uses it within the context here, he doesn't mean unbridled rage or steam coming out of your ears, face turning red anger. Because if that were the case, most of us would be off the hook, right? Most of us would say, well, on a daily basis, I'm not breathing out murderous threats against the person sitting in the pew next to me. So we could easily say we're off the hook. But by, by hate, John, he just means a lack of love. So we can go to the next slide. Here's what it, what it really means to hate. When I, when I fail to actively prioritize the good of my brother or sister in Christ, I'm acting in a selfish, hateful, hypocritical way. I'm claiming one thing, and I'm doing something else. To, to your face, I'm claiming I, I love you and I care deeply about you, but I'm not actually willing to do the hard work required to remain in close relationship with you. Again, my bumper sticker says one thing, my driving says another. It's duplicitous, it's two-faced, it's dishonest, and has no place in the kingdom of God. Beloved people love people. See, we as, as Christians are perfectly loved, beloved by God, and that means we reflect that love to others. And the corollary for that is that hatred for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and remember hatred, we're not talking about murderous rage, we're just talking about failing to love. He's saying that that has no place in our hearts. And man, do you want to know the, like the, the really sinister thing about this kind of two-faced hypocrisy is that it's hiding in plain sight. Here's the number one daily culprit. Are you ready for this? Minnesota nice. Anybody ever heard this term? Right? If you're from North Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, you know what we're talking about. And if you're not, I mourn for you because you found out the hard way. In his poem, I'm a Lutheran, which is a phenomenal title for a poem, Garrison Keillor says this. He kind of is talking about, this is what Minnesota Nice is. He says, we do not go for whooping it up or a lot of yickety yak. When we say hello, we avert our eyes and we always sit in the back. Minnesota Nice is our natural dialect. When we talk to someone in person, especially if we have something kind of challenging to say to them, 
we never say it to their face, right? The, the, like, the, the overarching main idea of Minnesota nice is like never speak directly to someone, right? Never say it to their face. Direct communication is to be avoided at all costs. Now, of course, we might tell someone else about them, and for heaven's sakes, don't, don't let that person tell them that I told you uh, about this, right? The Bible has a less nice word for this kind of thing, gossip. Like we'd never tell them ourselves in person because it's just more comfortable to kind of shield ourselves with a third party and channel everything through them. We're really good at talking about people. We're maybe less good at talking to people. The technical term for this is passive-aggressive and it's a grievous sin. One pastor tells the story of how a wife in his congregation, she called him up complaining about her husband. She said he wasn't spiritual enough. So what she wanted the pastor to do was to call her husband and and tell the husband that he had had a vision from God saying he needed to attend church more. This is not in this church, by the way, so you're all free and clear. Uh, Of course, the pastor was not supposed to tell the husband that the wife had called him in the first place. That part had to stay hidden. You see what's going on here. You see the, the kind of sinister workings that are going on behind the scenes. Because of her discomfort and her unwillingness to address her husband directly in like a a Matthew 18 kind of way, right? If your brother sins against you, go and talk to him individually. Talk to them one-on-one. Because of her refusal to do this, she resorted to hiding and blaming. In other words, she ran to the darkness. Here's a key point for you to take home today. Any relational pattern that rewards and reinforces indirect communication shies away from the light of God's love. Why? Because it leads to hiding, blaming, and ultimately not owning up to our actions. Now, this tendency to hide and blame isn't unique. And it's definitely not new. Actually, it goes all the way back to Genesis. You might remember the story. You can read about it in the first three chapters of the Bible. Uh, God puts Adam and Eve in the garden, the, the first people created in God's image, right? He puts them in, in paradise, and he, he creates this, this wonderful world around them, and, and everything is, is good. And God said that it was good, and, and it, was, it was good. And, and these humans, they had a, a perfect relationship with God. There was no fear. There was no anxiety. There was no need to posture or, or to, to cover up. Just like a, a fully authentic relationship. We might say that God and His creatures could be real with one another, as the kids say today, right? And there's some truth to this. But then something happens. Satan tempts Adam and Eve. They eat the fruit that God told them not to. And what's the first thing that they do after that? They sow fig leaves to cover up, to hide. 
And then they, they shift the blame. Well, God, you know, this serpent that you created, you know, he's the, he's the one you want. He's the one that tempted me. And then Adam says, well, this woman that you put here with me, by the way, guys, I've tried that. I would not recommend it. Uh, didn't work then, does not work now. But right, you see this tendency to shift the blame. And this is what we do when we're overcome with fear, guilt, and shame. We see Adam and Eve refuse to take responsibility for their actions, and they run to the darkness instead. And in his gospel, John says it this way, John 3.19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Here's the truth. Here's what hiding in the darkness and running to the darkness, here's what it really is. It's refusing to take responsibility for our own actions. That's what it comes down to, plain and simple. When we refuse to speak to fellow Christians directly, and instead speak to someone else about them. When we triangulate our relationships, by the way, if you don't know that term, Google it, it's a good one. Triangulate our relationships. We bring a third person in to try to channel everything through them. The telltale signs of this are when you start to hear phrases like, and don't tell anyone else I told you this. Or, and when you talk to them, of course, don't mention my name. And, you know, I, I was talking to some people, and I don't want to give any names, but they told me, what are we doing here? We're avoiding personal responsibility. We're doing what humans do. Like Adam and Eve, we're sowing more fig leaves, covering up, hiding and blaming, rather than bringing the truth into the light. So what is the alternative to the hypocrisy of the darkness? Well, let's go back to Genesis for a second, because there's an important part of the story that we often miss. Most of us know the, the Genesis creation narrative by heart, right? Adam and Eve sin, they break the world, God curses them and all of creation they get kicked out of the garden. And we call this the fall, and it's the saddest story in the Bible. But there's one little verse here that I want to just double-click on, and it's Genesis 3.21. Listen to this. This is just before God puts an angel, like a, a bouncer, outside the Garden of Eden to keep Adam and Eve from coming back in, right? Just before that happens, God says this, Genesis 3.21, the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God did what? He made them garments. And He clothed them. See, God took care of them. He made provision for them. They had sinned, disobeyed God, 
ran into the darkness, and they'd even been warned ahead of time that the consequences of this sin was going to be immediate death. On the day that you do this, you shall surely die, right? Only God doesn't kill them on the spot, does He? He didn't give them what they deserved. Instead, He was merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love. He removed their dark, filthy rags and clothed them in His spotless righteousness. See, friends, here's another truth you can take to the bank. Only the light of God can heal the poisonous wounds of sin that fester in the dark. Now, we might ask, okay, great, but how can God do this, right? I mean, how can He choose to treat us not as our sins deserve? He can't just ignore them. He can't ignore our failures, right, and and not deal with them. That wouldn't be, that would mean He's not a God of justice as well. Sin demands consequences. He can't just sweep our brokenness under the rug and and kind of smile, Minnesota nice style, like everything is hunky-dory when it's not. I wouldn't be dealing with the problem, would it? No, you see, Jesus, what He does, He deals with our sin problem directly. By taking full responsibility for our actions. At the cross, He became all of our darkness so that we could walk in the perfect, spotless light of His perfection. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He became sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God, right? It's this two-way exchange. He gets our sin, our sin is forgiven and and placed upon Christ instead, and he He is treated as if He were the sinful one, and we get His righteousness, full and complete. And you know, Jesus didn't hide We think of the first Adam and the way that he hid, but Jesus didn't do that. He did not hide once. He didn't blame shift. He didn't shield himself with a third party. He didn't even try to defend himself from false accusations. Even when we hated him, spat on him, and mocked him, he spread his arms wide, and he embraced us in all of our mess, loving us to death even death on a cross. At the cross, He made Himself the object of our scorn, gossip, and mockery, absorbing all the murderous words and phrases that could ever be uttered. You see, He hung there naked and exposed for the whole world to see, all pretense stripped away. And He did it for you, so that you wouldn't have to live in the darkness anymore. See, only that kind of love can expel the poisonous hatred in our hearts. In a sermon called Loving Your Enemies, Dr. Martin Luther King spoke these famous words, and I think they're especially relevant today. 
here's what he says. Maybe you've heard this before. Returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. In a minute, we're going to get the chance to come together at the Lord's table and, and receive communion together. And this is one of the places where we come to, to see, taste, and experience God's love and forgiveness firsthand. So as we start to, to transition to that part of our, our service, may we begin to, to contemplate the unconditional love of our Heavenly Father And may we allow his light to penetrate even the deepest, darkest, most hidden corners of our hearts. Maybe the parts that even we are too scared to name. Because, as John tells us, the darkness is passing away. And the true light, a.k.a. Jesus, is already shining. Amen. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.